research had, had shown that, that the single biggest variable in the success of a restaurant unit is the general manager. The closer you can get them to a five-year tenure as the general manager, the more profitable the restaurant will become. So I guess if I could be slightly controversial, I, I think I would go so far as to say that some of the best shop managers that I had were not necessarily particularly great baristas. I would never want a leader in our organisation who wasn't willing to speak for the sheds. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Today, we're exploring the role of the general manager in coffee and hospitality businesses. Cafe operators will tell you that the general manager, otherwise known as the GM, can be the difference between a coffee outlet operating at a 20% loss or at a 20% profit. But for such a pivotal position, as an industry, do we fully appreciate the importance of this role? What does the GM need from owner operators to thrive and deliver financial success? In this episode, we're going to explore these questions by speaking with two seasoned specialty coffee operators, Tim Ridley of United Baristas and Lizzie Gurr, Chief Operating Officer of Hasbeen and Ozone, UK and New Zealand. But the central focus of this episode is a conversation I had with Chris Muller, PhD, the author of a groundbreaking book, The Leader of Managers. Chris has clocked up over 50 years in the restaurant industry, starting his career as a 15-year-old, and over the years he has managed two distinguished restaurants before joining academia. He helped to start the Rosen College of Hospitality Management in Orlando, and was also Dean of Boston University's School of Hospitality. While my conversation with Chris is focused on highly scaled corporate food chains, we need to think laterally as we listen to find the lessons that can also apply to the coffee industry. Welcome, Chris. Oh, it's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You've got a fabulous book with a brilliant title, Leader of Managers. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your book, what are the main messages, and what are the key learnings that you share? Research had shown that, that the single biggest variable in the success of a restaurant unit is the general manager. The closer you can get them to a five-year tenure as the general manager, the more profitable the restaurant will become. And so it was always amazing to me that restaurant companies didn't really spend a lot more time developing their management skills at the unit level. It basically, you, you know, we have a sort of battlefield promotion psychology that if you're still standing after everybody else quits, you get to be the leader. But we started to address that back in the 90s. What really, though, became apparent to me was that after interviewing a lot of unit managers, the single biggest factor for their success was how well they were managed by their district or area manager. The key to, to keeping a general manager for five years is having a really well-trained district manager, the leader of managers. And I realized that what we have is a business that you go from a very highly structured organization, a restaurant. You know, it's like a machine. You start it in the morning, you, you turn it off in the evening, and it does basically the same things every day, even though there's tremendous amount of variability because of customers. The person who's a really successful general manager gets promoted to managing three, four, maybe eight. And what the problem is, is that the skill sets of the unit manager are not the same as the skill sets of the district manager or the person who is now leading other managers. Becoming the person who is focusing on 
making other people successful. I, I describe it in easy terms. You go from being a player on a winning team to being the coach. And the, you have to now realize that you're not shooting and scoring goals. You're not making the defensive plays. You're making it uh, work so that other people can do that. And all you can do is get the game plan in, in place and turn on the machine. And once it happens, you have very few levers to pull after the game starts. And so our research found, and the basis of the book is a, a, what we call the five phases of multi-unit management development. And they basically are that you have to be really good at operations. You have to know how to run a unit. So typically, it's good to have been a general manager. In a sort of side place to that, a lateral move is that you have to be really good at facilities management, which in a modern day is uh, the ability to really manage the, the physical brand. The business has to be up to standards. So it's everything from keeping the back door locked to making sure the signs are lighted at night. Those two things sort of go together, but they're not exactly the same skill sets. Once you master those, the leap above just a super operator level, we call it, is to get to uh, understanding the finances of not just one unit, but now a, a group of units. In, in a modern organizational work that we do, most of the restaurants now in a corporate environment, probably doing about, in, in the UK, somewhere about a million pounds a year and all the way up to 10 million pounds a year. But if you're running a single store, you know, you're running this on a daily basis. You really don't have to know much more than the simple top two-thirds of the income statement. But when you get to be the district manager and you have uh, signing capacity for 50, 60, 70,000 pounds, all of a sudden you're now responsible for not 1 million pounds, but maybe 5, 10, 15 million. And that changes your entire focus. You, you now have to decide, should I spend 100,000 putting in a, a, a new kitchen in this unit, or should I spend 100,000 and repave a parking lot? You have to make decisions across a broad range of entities. And because of that, you have a need to understand not just the simple profit and loss statement for your unit. You need to understand the cash flow statements and the balance sheet and how it's going to affect. You become the chief financial officer for your district. And that is a skill that most restaurant people are never trained for. I've come to find that most people in the corporate boards don't understand how those those three things relate to each other. So it's a skill set that we have to give people an understanding of finance. From there, we move to an understanding of marketing. And marketing is not advertising or merchandising. And marketing is building the business for a future customer. And if you go back to Drucker, he said the sole purpose for a business is to create and keep a customer. But you're the district manager. You're looking at various demand curves. Each unit has its own customer base, targets. You know, when I was in Ithaca and Cornell, there were three McDonald's in town. There was one downtown that had been the first one, had been there forever but it was on a pedestrian mall. There was one on the south of town that was uh, more in an industrial area, and there was one in the north of town that was across the street from the major shopping mall. They had completely different demand structures. The one up by the mall was busiest on Saturday mornings, typically with fathers with their kids in the backseat that they had taken out for lunch. Downtown was closed after seven o'clock at night, and the one on the going out on the south on the highway was busiest during the day as the people from all midweek. It was very quiet on the weekends, but they all sold the exact same product. Managing those three restaurants and, and marketing for those three restaurants does require a very different understanding of the nature of customers and demand. 
And how do you create new customers for those independent markets? The final phase is what we have determined is the human resource phase. And we don't spend as much time teaching people how to manage people. We always say that the restaurant business is a people business, and then we treat people as expendable. The COVID has certainly challenged that traditional thought. We now know that we're short on labor globally because people have decided that they don't really like the work the way that it's been presented to them. And so the focus we say for the the unit manager, the district manager, somebody managing eight units, is that in a typical year, let's say you have a 25% turnover and in your senior management, your general manager, store manager levels, which is low. It's usually 50%. Let's just say it's 25% and you're running eight stores. That means that you can guarantee that this year, two of your general managers will leave you probably on a, if you're lucky, a two-week notice. You need to have someone to replace them immediately. And where does that replacement come from? It comes from your two or three assistant managers in your district. Just do it by the numbers. If you've got eight units, you have eight general managers, you have, let's say, two in each one, you have 16 assistant general managers, you've got a cook or a chef or a kitchen manager, you've got some supervisors, you may have somebody that just in a dining room manager. So what you've got is a person that goes from managing one restaurant to now managing eight, going from managing a staff of 20 with really only people working directly below them, maybe two people, to all of a sudden managing a group of people called managers that could run from 25 to 50 people. And those are the people you have to learn to develop. You have to spend, we're suggesting about 40% of your time developing your assistant managers because they're the ones that are, that are your inventory, your, your farm team. That's the future of your business. If you want to be successful, you have to now decide that you're going to not just manage other managers, but you're going to lead them to a different place. That's the basis of the book. We suggest in research that to go from the unit manager who's being promoted to a really good multi-unit manager can take up to two years. If you're not getting it by two years, they're never going to get it. Many people can do it much faster, but that's where we have a break point. What is the role of a general manager in a hospitality venue? That has been completely changed, I think, over the last 10 years. The traditional restaurant, the general manager was somebody who, in the most simplistic terms, a successful general manager was nobody died, the place didn't catch on fire, and the money got in the bank. That model really lasted for many, many years. And so when I was the general manager of a restaurant back in the, in the late 70s, it, it was a sort of solitary job. I had one assistant manager who uh, would be an opener, one who would be the closer, and I would cover their days off. And so we used to say that you worked twice as long for half the pay because it was not, you know, when I owned my own restaurant, there were many weeks where I was working 115 hours a week because I couldn't afford assistance. And some nights I actually slept on the floor so I could open for breakfast. That all changed in the late 80s when the Olive Garden model went to a five-manager system. They pledged that no manager would work more than 50 hours a week. And the only way to do that was to put more managers in the system. So they then had a general manager, a service manager, a kitchen manager, and two assistant floor managers. That five-manager system from the three-manager system meant that the work changed. And they could do that because they were going from, instead of doing half a million dollars, they were now going to do $2 million in unit volume. 
They knew that driving revenue was the way to drive success in the business. And the second model was when Outback decided that instead of having general managers that were expendable, they allowed them to contribute $25,000. And you became basically an internal franchisee of the Outback system. So you put up $25,000 and you got a 5% stake in the restaurant you were running. You got your name on the door as the proprietor. And they guaranteed you that you would be there for five years unless you were fired for cause. They, so you could put down roots, you could buy a house, you could put your kids in school. Prior to that, it was not unusual for restaurant managers and hotel managers in the food business to change every 90 to 180 days for new jobs. This five-year model was unbelievable. And then the, the, the ownership changed the compensation package. So where Olive Garden gave us a new focus on the time commitment in terms of work level, Outback gave us a long time horizon, but also a quarterly bonus system. So their general managers were instantly making between $125,000 dollars and $150,000 a year, where most general managers were making fifty. So they had a, a base pay of about $50,000, and then every quarter they got a percentage of the free cash flow, the net operating profit. And that doubled their salaries, sometimes it tripled it. And so they had a stake in the success of the restaurant, driving revenues, they had a stake in the restaurant, keeping their costs in line, making sure that customers were happy. And they also had an, uh, the idea that they were going to be there for five years. That changed the way that we looked at general managers completely. So now we, it would be hard pressed, except in maybe some independent small operators, to not think that we have to have enough managers so that everybody can work, and if nothing, at least a six-day work week or a five-and-a-half-day work week but closer to 50 or 60 hours than the 100 or 80 to 100 that people were working before that. What is the role of soft skills in a great general manager? When it comes down to it, any leadership role, but especially where you have a small team in a highly emotional work, you know, restaurant work is emotional work. You have to inspire people to think that they're doing this for the team. There's a lot of metaphors for the restaurant business, but one of them is that it's like being in battle every day. You have this foe, the customers, coming in and putting you under incredible stress, and the entire system is trying to just get through lunch or just get through dinner, and it'll calm down again. And the sad part about it is we can never fix it. There's no way to make the restaurant perfect because tomorrow's going to be another day with a whole set of new customers who are never going to have the same demands. It's a highly predictable but highly random business. So we know lunch is going to be busier on Wednesday than then on Monday, we know dinner on Saturday is going to be busier than dinner on Sunday, but we don't know how much. And so we build these systems in, and the manager's job is to basically run around through the trenches, keeping people's spirits up, and every once in a while, going over the top of the hill and playing that leader role. What we look for as employees across all levels, but especially in highly stressful emotional labor like this, is it comes down to two things. It comes down to compassion and justice. And what I mean by that is people have to believe that you care about them and that you're fair to them. So if you say, to, you know, I do a, a little exercise with my executive education folks and say, okay, name the best manager you ever worked for in your mind, write down the two things that they did that made them so special. And I have a list of things that people typically answer, but they all come down to one of these two things. 
They cared about me and they were fair to me. They cared about my career. They cared about whether or not I had to go home to see my baby because she was sick. They treated me well so that when promotions were around or raises were given out or shifts was, were, were given out, they were basically fair to everyone, that we were treated well. When the general manager intuitively understands this, and if you think about this, it's, it's a miniature version of the five phases that we just talked about. To be a good general manager, you have to have an operation skill. So you could come out of the kitchen, you could come out of the floor, out of the bartending. It doesn't really matter. You understand the flow of the business, this machine metaphor. You understand that you have to keep the place clean. The bathrooms have to be clean. You can't put up a sign that says, our bathrooms are cleaner than they used to be. You have to have a sense of how to make the, you know, the deposits, the finance pieces on a very small daily basis. You want to make sure that you have enough vodka to get through the weekend. You need to have a sense of the customers and how you're going to get them back in, the marketing piece, which is a little bit more like uh, advertising and promotion. And you have to have this understanding that the way you're going to be successful is to have a successful team. And you've got to have people that respect you as a manager and allow you to be their leader. It's a different set of skills if you get promoted. But the unit management, as I said at the beginning, the single most important factor for the success of a company is the success of the general managers and getting them to this point where they understand that this is a people business and the people that are, are there are going to require them to have these two perspectives. Thanks so much, Chris Muller, PhD, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Chris Muller's central point is a powerful one. A general manager who is adequately incentivized and stays in place for five years or more is the key for a financially successful hospitality outlet. It's fascinating how, in the vast U.S. restaurant sector, Olive Garden and Outback both created new management models that helped to transform the role of the general manager. Within Olive Garden's five-person system, managers had a better work-life balance. Outback, meanwhile, lowered staff turnover by offering aggressive financial incentives tied to five-year contracts. Now we're going to speak to two experienced coffee shop operators to hear how they handle the challenges of finding and retaining great general managers. This will help to contextualize some of Chris Muller's messages within specialty coffee. Now we hear from Tim Ridley, the founder of United Baristas. In 2009, Tim co-created and grew a chain of specialty coffee shops called the Department of Coffee and Social Affairs. He sold the business in 2015. Today, he runs United Baristas, a platform that consults and connects resources within the retail coffee sector. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Jeff. It's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me. Tim, how important is the role of the general manager? The role of the store manager is important, Jeff. It's ma that make or break. You know, when you were running your outfits, what would you look for? Were there also technical skills you were looking for, or is it all attitude? So I guess if I could be slightly controversial, I, I think I would go so far as to say that some of the best shop managers that I had were not necessarily particularly great baristas, but they'd come from maybe like the front of house roles or maybe we'd parachuted them into a more senior role from outside. Because the thing that a good shop manager has, in my opinion, is ability to continually project themselves into what it's like to be a customer in that shop. So you can't be too focused on what your email inbox is like or what it's like to be behind the counter. You need to be thinking about what it's actually like to be stood waiting in a queue or what it's like to be sitting at a table enjoying the food and drink that that establishment serves. 
And if you can't project yourself into that space, it's very difficult for you to be able to identify what your priority list is at any given time or for the day or for the week. So those people have to have like incredible empathy and they need to have really good vision and they need to be able to then communicate that to the team in a really clear way, which comes down to a bunch of really practical things that people need to do at that moment to make a shop function. Because as you and I know, there's there's just so many moving parts in a in a good coffee shop for everything to come together. So in summary, what impact can the general manager have on a business on one outlet? Well, I mean, the difference between it working or, or not, I guess, would be the short answer in my experience. There's definitely been cases where there's been people in place and we've made some changes and those that's lifted a shop's performance like in a very short space of time. But I think maybe the way I'd look at it is not so much that those people are good and bad. It's just that you need to also find the right person for the right location and the right maturity of a business. So I guess I could maybe say this now that I don't actually have to run a coffee shop business on a day-to-day, but I came to realize that it often took actually sort of like three waves of a team to build a site. So when you open a shop, you need people who have lots of energy and are really enthusiastic and they're selling the dream of what a shop could be. But inevitably, the shop isn't necessarily as, you know, it might be running at 30% of what you envisage the final turnover to be. So they've got to sort of like fill all of that excess space that exists within a shop. Then at a certain point, the shop gets busy and that team has built a certain amount of bad habits and are actually maybe enjoying themselves, but maybe enjoying themselves in a way that doesn't lead to you to be able to grow the shop to the next phase, which might be, say, getting through to, say, 75% of your target turnover. So you inevitably sort of have to bring in some new rules and procedures and processes, and that often just shakes up the culture and means that a bunch of people move on. And if you've got multiple sites, maybe you can reshuffle people around, but if you've only got one shop or two shops, that's more difficult, and you might actually, unfortunately, lose that wave of people. And you bring in another wave of people, and then that's sort of like the builders, and they just need to do like really good and solid operations and be really consistent in delivering coffee and good service. And they generally have sort of the energy to get the shop through to sort of like 75, 80%. Then you sort of sit everyone down and go, great, we've got this final push to go. And everyone's like, what? We're tired. This is, not, <laughs> this is not what I thought I had to do. And you have to do this reshuffle again. And then you want to bring in this final team that basically no difference from just running and being busy and running at full speed. And so the general manager role sits above all of that because a good general manager will be able to transition across some of those phases of the life of a shop. But also at times you find that you maybe have to swap in or out the site manager as as a shop transitions through those phases, in my experience. So you need to find the right person at the right time for the right location, which which makes it a really interesting role for the person involved. But you really need to have a needs to be a good partnership there. And how to motivate a general manager? I think just about everybody who works in coffee does it for the love of it. You know, the love of it is different things. Like some people really love the brew itself and some people really love the beverage and some people like the process of making it. But I think many people actually take a great amount of joy in serving other people. I certainly did. I think one of the most enjoyable aspects of running a coffee business is sometimes I'd have this moment of delight where I'd walk into a shop and just things were running smoothly and the customers were enjoying themselves and there were smiles and good conversation. And I just went, yeah, this is what it's all about. This is why it's worth all of the hassle. And I think the best people that I had on my team at all levels, including at a shop manager level, really took great intrinsic delight in delivering that thing for somebody else. And so that takes a lot of generosity with your personal energy. 
And so it's really important as a business owner and operator that I think you find ways to be able to keep your shop management team energized by putting into them and investing with them. So I think one of the things that was really, really critical in the business was actually I just I would spend quite a lot of time with these people and in terms of telling them what I wanted from them and where we were going and forming plans and how we were going to get there. But I also tried as best as I could to look after them and make sure that they had respite and came to the job fresh and that they didn't get sucked down into some of the detail that someone else should be doing so that they could just keep their head in the game. And I think it worked best when they had clear objectives and they were trying to do something and they were learning how to do that as they went along and they were enjoying delivering that to their customers. And when that mix broke down, then it got more difficult. And then the conversation starts at that point to veer onto other things like what the terms, what the conditions, packages, and those other types of things. So I guess from my perspective, you know, I've always wanted to pay well and pay fairly, but the coffee shops don't have big budgets and you need to find ways to be able to have, you know, really good talent at a market rate. So, you know, paying above and beyond would be ideal in a better world, but there's often a real challenge for many coffee businesses. So you need to find those other things within the culture and the package, I think, that really keep those people engaged. Thanks for your time today here on Fifth Wave. It's always interesting talking to you, Jeff. Chris spoke about the importance of treating general managers with compassion and justice. And Tim Ridley appears to have done exactly that. As Tim highlighted, independent coffee shop chains would struggle to afford six-figure salaries. However, Tim's strategy to retain and engage general managers was to invest a lot of time building a caring culture while also looking for staff who are intrinsically passionate about coffee. Now to finish up this episode, we're going to have a quick word with Lizzie Gurr, Chief Operating Officer for Hasbeen and Ozone UK and New Zealand. Lizzie grew up in New Zealand and partnered with Ozone to establish their London operations in 2010. Ozone operates roasteries in New Zealand and the UK and has two cafes in London and another two in New Zealand. Welcome, Lizzie. Thank you. So, Lizzie... What do you look for when hiring a GM? You look for someone who is willing to take ultimate accountability and prioritise consumer experience, but also prioritise team engagement and well-being. And quite often those things clash pretty heavily. So it's hard. You need a diplomatic leader, someone that leads by example. We talk about sweeping the sheds, which is a rugby analogy. Sweeping the sheds, just for our international audience. If you could unpack that. Sweeping the Sheds. It's a phrase from a book called Legacy, written by an author, James Kerr. We talk about it a lot, but sweeping the sheds is a metaphor for at the end of a rugby game, the team come back into the changing rooms and they have a shower and whatever, and then they they clean down the sheds afterwards. And it's about taking pride in your environment. And no matter who you are, you should stay behind and be the last person sweeping the sheds with the rest of the team. I would never want a leader in our organisation who wasn't willing to speak for the sheds. I think just like any hiring, it's about the right sort of aptitude, attitude. Almost doesn't matter about skills, you can teach those. I'm a millennial and I already feel old (laughs) in our organisation and people want empowerment. And so hire the right person, empower them to do the job. And if they're not doing the job, then that's another conversation. But, you know, got to give them the tools to, to crack on and own it. Thanks, Lizzie, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks very much. 
When hiring a general manager, Lizzie very much embodies Chris Muller's military analogy. She looks for someone who gets down in the trenches with the troops or sweeps the sheds, as she puts it. Taking a step back and reflecting on what we've covered in today's episode, I believe as our industry matures and we continue to scale specialty coffee, we must find ways of retaining general managers for three to five years at least, a better time frame for delivering excellent financial performance. What else can we do as an industry to retain and empower our general managers? I believe we need solutions that are as creative as those that Olive Garden and Outback pioneered in the 1980s. These groundbreaking management models reshaped how their industry operates. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to The Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Also, get in touch and tell us what topics are important to you so we can make this show more relevant to you and to your business. You can follow the link in the show notes to worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifthwave. This episode was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Brister. And today we leave you with a great song, Fumes, by Richard James, winner of the Coffee Music Project London 2019. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. Be that easy. It was never gonna hand your dream to you. They say home is where the heart is at. I gotta love this city. But love is blind and love is blinding you. This city ain't good for you. You're breathing in the fumes. It's making you confused. Gotta love this city And if love is blind Then London's blinding you This city ain't good for you Get up, get up, run away now Get up, get up, breathe it